Hello and welcome to Something to Declare. Uh, we're really delighted to have you all listening in today. We definitely are. Um, and uh, it's good to be uh, catching up with another person from our Baptist uh, movement, hearing about uh, their ministry. Um, and we uh, thank everyone for their feedback on last week's episode, talking to our friend uh, Reverend June Love. Uh, and it was good to to kick off the new season and get things underway. Absolutely. This week, I believe we've got uh, the Reverend Dan Gates. Is that right? We have. We have the lovely Reverend Dan Gates. So Dan is a, a minister in Leightonstone in East London. Uh, it was in Southend until uh, quite recently because all Baptist ministers have to do a stint in Southend at some point. Uh, Bristol or Southend, you have to, to do be... one of the two. I'm going to say that. It's one of those Baptist heartlands, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, Bristol and Leeds and other places like that that have a good Baptist contingent, um, they're quite big conurbations. So that kind of makes sense. But it's quite possible to live your life in the United Kingdom and not having heard of, of Southend. So um, it's odd. Um, but, uh, you know, there are even some days where it's a blessing as well. So, um, <laughs> there you go. Part well, of the those of us who are outside Southend, we look on you as the kind of, you know, kind of Baptist Riviera. <laughs> and, um, yes, that's right. <laughs> you've obviously got lots of piers and lovely seaside and fish and chips and we're all very jealous of the fact that you're living the kind of the sunny sandy kind of joyful version of what baptist life might be and it's always like that all the time Definitely absolutely that. yeah one never, of the other things it's <laughs> none of the other things but you've described it perfectly you obviously you know that's exactly it which which um, must be why dad has moved recently because that's well, one of the things we're about to hear isn't it that um Quite recently, Dan has moved into um, his new church. And he has. it's interesting because we had somebody just an episode before Juna just moved to her church. So I'll just pick up on that in a bit too. Yes, it's interesting. They're interesting how it tends to come in sort of waves like that, doesn't there? I, I wonder if, obviously, I, I don't know the stats particularly, but obviously, less people moved around during those initial perhaps 18 months even of the, the pandemic so even if you were thinking of moving it was harder to move for a variety yeah. of reasons um and then you've obviously got that so then there seems to have been a, quite a bit of a shuffle with lots of different people moving around i guess um and i get but i guess you almost had two or three years worth of moving to happen all at a similar time or it might just be everybody i know is moving it might not be that at all well, we were discussing how many sabbaticals you'd had and in a way that made me feel like very young in ministry and you're about the same age as me in ministry, but you've actually clearly had your sabbaticals. So um, let's talk about that. You're on sabbatical at the moment. We have got David on sabbatical. So this is apparently not work, if anybody's interested in whether like, <laughs> David counts this as work or, or fun. Oh, this, this comes fun, definitely. comes under fun. This comes under fun. <laughs> It's interesting because normally you go out of your way to point out how much older than you I am. So it's good to, <laughs> to hear you saying that we're similar age this time. Um, yes. Well, uh, and I've recently ticked a box in a consultation that tells me my age bracket in the Baptist Union's world, world vision of, of who I am. So <laughs> have, you, have you gone up a bracket? Oh, no, no. actually I'm not. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still in the youthful 25 to 34 like and i thought to myself if you'd done this about two months later yeah. I, I'm in my now. In now that's right now you yeah there it does become a moment where you start ticking different forms and you think why draw the boundary there that's how anyway yeah yes, so, i think the boundary should have been three years earlier personally but do you think yeah yeah um, when did i age yeah but i i am yes on on sabbatical at the moment this is my second um, but I'm I'm quite early, quite early doors into this one, um, and um, I'm at the stage which I certainly remember last time, and I, I know that everyone's experience is very different, but I, I suspect there are some people who have had a sabbatical who understand this. There's that initial sort of oh thank goodness I've got a week off sort of feeling, which most people will resonate with perhaps, um, but then you get to the stage where 
I don't want to use the word bereft, but you just feel a bit bereft, actually. It, it, it takes quite a while to really settle into being on sabbatical, I think. And um, one of the good things I did this time was um, my wife and I went on a holiday um, right at the beginning. It wasn't actually because I was on sabbatical. We were doing it for a different reason at that time. Um, but it sort of coincided rather nicely. So it's really good to unplug, you know, right at the, the beginning. And the other thing that is easier is that the children are older this time. Um, so mm. my children are nine and 10 at the moment. So that's a very different sabbatical to the children being two and three, where it doesn't matter what you're supposed to be doing. It's all hands to the pumps. Um, you know, you just there is no rest. Yeah, they're two and three. What do you think is going to happen? So, so then it was kind of you're either at home or I did manage to go away on a couple of trips, and but you that was when you did other things. Whereas this time, actually, there's space during the day. They're at school. It's a very different um, thing, but it's a wonderful privilege. Something I'm very grateful to have. I'm very blessed to be in a church that really takes honouring these things seriously as well. Fear the bereft thing. Mm. Is it emotional to do with the relationships and the missing out and being the person that people come to thing and the control, all the stuff, right? All the stuff that comes with being the minister, which is both a privilege and at times a real hardship. Is it the kind of anxiety hangover? Because you know how there's like that thing where you you stop and then you realise how tired you are. And then, and then afterwards there's like a kind of anxiety bit of it's the things I didn't do. Uh, is it, which which one of those things is it? Is it is it more the kind of here are the people I'm not with right now? Or is it just a sense of here are the jobs I haven't finished? So those are really interesting dynamics. I'm not quite sure it's either of them, actually. And this is where it differs from last time. So last time, I very much just missed being with everybody. So, I mean, we live right next door to the church. And I remember there were a couple of Sundays where we weren't going elsewhere and we were at home. And I just wanted to go and be in the car park for the 10 minutes before the service started. I had no inclination to want to be in the service at all. Um, but I just wanted to see everybody and, you know, that I love the few minutes before the service starts. Usually they're just filled with anticipation and joy and, and I love all that. So I did, I did miss that. Um, I, I'm not at all worried about things that are happening while I'm not there. I've, I've got a wonderful team that I'm privileged to work with. And I know that that is a real blessing that I have in being in the team ministry as well. I know that's all under control. Everything was planned within a inch of its life that I've got no concerns about any of that um I think it's more just if you're used to being hyper vigilant um if you're used to being quite full-on and it's been quite a full-on period um it's very hard to then you know for that to work its out way out of your system it's a really good thing because it needed to because it's not a sustainable way of living um but it's about just actually it's almost the, the stopping it's really hard and you kind of find yourself wanting to do things and your hands are busy because you're used to being able to you're, you're emailing you're texting you're ringing you're buying you're, you're doing whatever and actually you don't you don't need to do any of that um i mean i'm sure if one was really that way inclined you could channel the energy into i don't know diy or gardening or whatever else I have no inclination towards doing any of those things. It's not the same though, is it? It's, it's I'm not saying this is somebody who's a terrible gardener. Um, <laughs> but it's not the same, is it? It's not the same. And it, it is a weird feeling, and it, but I, I think it's a feeling you have to sit through mm. and sit with. And one of the things I have done this time, um, on the recommendation of my CMD audit partner, so you know just a little um just in case the ministry is taking I'm sure sure they're not but um, But you just got you just got like brownie points didn't you excellent Excellent. (laughs) then it's just like ticking you off onto some sort of merit list right now (laughs) (laughs) but i you know we're very good we have our audits um anyway um i I don't have a spiritual director at the moment. I have a pastoral supervisor. I don't have a spiritual director. I'm going to sort that out post sabbatical. But I did ask somebody to who works as a spiritual director, who, who we know, 
to meet with me at the beginning, in the middle and at the end mm. of the time, nice. um, which is, I think, a much more normal practice in the Church of England, as I understand it, for sabbaticals. Um, I, I'm really benefited having that session before I started. And I'm looking for, I've got, I think, in a couple of weeks, I've got the sort of halfway point uh, session. So I think that's a good thing mm. to do as well. Yeah, But no, it's a privilege and a joy. And I'm going to be able to come and have dinner with you um, and your lovely family in Absolutely. a few weeks time as well. Very yeah. looking forward to that. Absolutely. Well, I'm very jealous. I've never managed to have a sabbatical. <laughs> I keep going on maternity leave and it seems to interrupt them. Because um, apparently that counts as a sabbatical in the Baptist Union as well. So we'll <laughs> critique that at some point in time. Um, <laughs> right, we that's a rest, to. right? No sleep for 10 months. Um, only, only men could have written those rules. Amen. Amen. As with so many of the rules. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, we'll come to that another time. Um, yeah so it's uh but this is just fun so i'm pleased to do this regardless of of that well um, we're very glad to have you still <laughs> and um, and and i am because um <laughs> my husband said oh you're gonna record a podcast with david you're just gonna have a chat aren't you <laughs> it's like yeah that's be fair that's what we yeah. do um <laughs> I'm not going to not pretend that the deep joy of this for me is just getting to hang out with you for an hour and a bit. So thank you very much for still thinking that this is fun. But also, you know, it is such a joy, isn't it? And I think we set this podcast up because we were like, this is why we're still Baptists. It's because we have these phenomenal people that we want to spend time with in this Baptist world. And we want to tell their stories. And they are such great stories and I they're know. all great stories and every time you think you get used to hearing these phenomenal stories I'm still not used to them because every time I get bored over by yet another very different but phenomenal story so we had somebody who was uh I think probably an absolute extrovert last time I don't know but if I was guessing on a my big, big spectrum I, I, our candidate might be a very different vibe. He's got a he's got a voice that sounds like a Werther's original. <laughs> Is that not the right thing I'm about to introduce him as? He's he's got like just listen to this. If you need soothing in your soul, you need this interview. That's about to happen. Am I right? I I love listening to Dan. I could listen to him all the time. He's a wonderful preacher too. Um, so yes, I I. I don't think I would have described it as a, a Worth's original, but I like Worth's original, so I, I would wear that as a badge of honour were someone to describe He's me. He's just in that got way. that kind of soothing something. I don't know. Well, it's, perhaps the very best thing to do is, is to let everybody else listen to him <laughs> and see. See, yeah, pre Baptist Minister's <laughs> Confectionery. Tweet us at uh, something to declare. David made us um, a twelve. <laughs> I've been called worse. So um, let's let's listen to Dan. Well, Dan, hello and welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. Um, so, Dan, um, You've gone from being around the corner uh, to me here in South End. You're a little bit further away um, now. Tell us a bit about where you are and uh, how long you've been there and what it's all about. Sure. Yes, I'm now in Leytonstone, which is northeast London, um, about an hour's drive from from South End. Mm-hmm. Um, I still make the trip back regularly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I moved. I moved here. Um, officially in May of last year, 2022, um, and took up the post uh, starting in June of the same year. So I've been here now seven, eight months, is that something like that? Yeah. It goes quicker every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were moving, I guess, towards the end of the pandemic time, mm-hmm. I don't know how long a process that was you talking to the church but I'm guessing some of that would have been over that winter 
period, the end of 21, beginning of 22. And what was that like doing that when sort of meeting together was not as easy as we might have liked? Yeah, it was a challenge. Um, yeah, my initial meetings with the kind of search team at the church here were by Zoom. Um, and potentially my preach with the peep, as we call it, was going to be by Zoom. Um, thankfully, by then, actually, it worked out I could come in person. That was towards the end of the kind of all the big lockdowns that we had. Um, so that was good. I, I could actually come here and, and meet them in the flesh. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult dynamic being questioned and interviewed by a team of people on a screen some of whom were on a bus home from work and oh crumbs <laughs> it was a it was a very uh, interesting dynamic um but in some ways nice because I was comfortable at home so I could yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I could have my coffee and comforters around me to uh, to help me feel relaxed in it so so yeah and so you've been there these last few months now um is there anything that's different to what you expected? Um, I think the, the major difference, I guess anyone will find who comes towards London, um, is the kind of the, the size of everything and the sheer um, diversity of this particular place. Um, yeah, and the, the, the blessings and the challenges of that. Um, South End is fairly saturated with churches, but London takes it up another notch and adds <laughs> in multiple other faith communities as well. So um, you soon discover that most of your thoughts aren't very original after all. Um, okay. five, five other people are doing it locally already. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a challenge, but also a blessing because of that. It's, uh, you know, diversity is quite stimulating and uh, exciting. So when you were um, looking sort of potentially to, to see where God might call you next, um, what was it that drew you to the church in, in Leightonstone? What were the things which made you think, yeah, I think this might be uh, worth uh, exploring? Mm, um, so th this was um, at the beginning of the, the new way of the, uh, the new pastoral vacancy system. So we, we then suddenly as ministers had access to the list of, of churches mm. who were looking. Um, and as I was pondering the potential that it might be time to move on, I, I looked at that list and this church wasn't on the list at that point. Um, and I was kind of looking for a resonance. That's how I would word it. Um, and I didn't find it <laughs> on the list as it was, which is quite a scary scary moment you start questioning then and wondering is this is this right um but then I, I came back to it maybe a few weeks later and uh, this this new profile was there in in east london northeast london close close to home um and it resonated with everything i was looking for um i think the key the key principle when i was thinking um preparing my own profile to send out was to be as authentic and open about who I really am what I really believe and my my convictions really are and um being able to be upfront and honest about that with whichever church I, I interact with um and if that's a a reason for them saying no then so be it um I wanted to be completely authentic and as open as I could be. Um, and one of the key kind of um, details that, that stood out for me from this particular profile, um, it's an inclusive church, um, which is high on my priority list, inclusion um, in the formal sense, you know, registered with the inclusive church network. Um, was, was key um they're very passionate about um ecological awareness which is also very high on my list um grappling with climate change and our, our carbon footprint as a church um diverse so lots of different types of people from different backgrounds um 
um, working with folks of different abilities and disabilities. So there's the way I put it is it's almost like a custom made profile for me. That's how it felt. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you couldn't have designed, uh, humanly speaking, you couldn't have designed a better, more attractive proposition for, for where I was looking to be. So. Yeah. Fantastic. It's so good when that happens. And I like the uh, the language of the resonance mm. and, and looking for that. And um, tell me a bit about the the environmental justice stuff that the, the church is, is keen on. And um, what are some of the things that the church has done as part of that? So interestingly, when soon after, it's a fairly new building. So the 80s, 90s, the church uh, because we're an LEP, we um, were, had the, we're in a position to to make a brand new building from an old site. Um, so soon after the building went up, um, solar panels were put on the roof, um, which which at that point was perhaps not the usual thing to be done. Um, and the, the previous ministers have all been very keen to encourage the church along the eco path um before a Roche's um current scheme they had another kind of eco church scheme that was um less less focused shall we say a bit more generic um but the church was pursuing that quite quite keenly had the plaque on the wall and mm -hmm. all sorts of awards for for its uh, determination to be eco-friendly and there were two particular champions in the church who were you know, very passionate about recycling, um, energy use in the building, um, those kind of everyday, easily changeable habits um, that make a big difference in when you're running a building with lots of people coming and going. Mm. Um, so that was the kind of historic okay. uh, picture. Um, but subsequently, we've re-registered with the Eco Church mm -hmm. system as it is now. Um, and there's a real desire to keep on finding ways of improving how we do what we do. Um, and, uh, yeah, last year we, we engaged with the great big green week, um, okay, yeah. in the summer and, um, it was just the kind of our first dipping of a toe in the water. We, we had a, a litter pick along, um, the road that runs parallel with the, the central line which is yep. down by yep. Leytonstone Station. Um, council very generously gave us equipment and tools and resources to make that happen. And it was a it was a wonderful time just after Sunday morning church. Um, young people in particular were were really invested and energized by that. And yeah, it's just a really great experience just to do something in community. Um as an expression of our desire to to tread gently on this earth and to take care of it and i think what you said about there being a couple of sort of particular champions for it makes such a difference doesn't it because it mm -hmm. of course it's very high priority for you but it's one of eight or nine really high priorities for you uh or whatever you, you know when you're trying to lead across the spectrum of the church's ministry um so having those people who are going to bang the drum and keep it in front of people they're just so valuable i mean there's so many things we could do and we find this in our own church here where you know okay well we could do that and we could do that and we could do that but unless there's a champion for it unless someone's gonna take the responsibility for making it happen it, it's not it's going to get lost so those mm. people are very precious mm, absolutely yeah and they they hold you to account as well when other things <laughs> seemingly become more important. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice to have people to chase you up as to as a church, what are we what are we doing next? So you talk about the the building there and the, all the people coming in and out. Is it is it quite active during the week? Is it different things going on? Is it community groups using and hiring the space? Yes, yeah, loads loads of different um different kinds of community groups as well. And this is again one of the the blessings of this particular church, and it's very much focused on welcome, uh, particularly among um, all the levels of difference in our society. So we have lots of babies coming in and out of the building, okay. doing doing various baby things, 
um, baby sensory and imagination library. Um, we even have baby yoga, which when I first heard that, <laughs> I wonder what that, what that might involve. Some very talented babies in in London. Um, so that's yes, yeah, so that's a big dynamic. Um, we have a dance school that uh, has been here for a long time, mm. um, which uh, has lots of lots of people coming to to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, the the addiction groups, which which are a key part of our community life. Um, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff. Um, mm. We're a bit of a venue as well for our kind of Muslim friends. Um, they like the idea that we're not allowed alcohol in in the building, which makes us a, a safe venue for them to to hire out. And um, there have been community meals there as well in the past. You know, the iftars and the breaking of the fasts. So okay, it's it's been a it's been a centre of the community in many ways. The building. Um, it's really interesting because I think a lot of churches might not feel that comfortable engaging in in some of mm. the things that you've you've mentioned there. But there's obviously a real opportunity in the midst of where the church is. Um, the, the church has obviously built really good friendships with all sorts of people around, which means that people feel comfortable engaging. And I, th I think that's a really interesting um, culture and heritage that the church um, mm has that and that people feel safe enough with the church that wherever they are in life actually they feel able to that it's a place where they would be welcome mm, absolutely and i yeah i think this is one of the key when, when you're living in a multicultural society and everyone on the spectrum somewhere in terms of faith or no faith i, I think you have to make a fundamental decision don't you as to your posture to the world um and you can either be threatened by that or embrace the diversity and um, without diminishing your own principles, without having to hide away what makes you you as a church, mm -hmm. um, that, that embrace can be offered um, and a genuine meeting place happens where your differences are honoured. Um, and that's, yeah, I think that's a, that's a key part of church life to, to allow that diversity to to be inside as well as outside. How, um, what's it like leading an LEP? Yes, it's, um, yeah, this is part of the discernment process for me, obviously, um, Baptist through and through uh, <laughs> since I was born and dedicated and all that stuff. Um, and uh, this this church is an LEP, a partnership between Baptists and URC. So um, one of our one of the questions I was asked is, "What, what do you think about baptism?" <laughs> um, oh yeah, okay. In other words, we have infant baptism. Will you do it? Um, in quite a quite a stark question, really. Um, and I had to reflect on that some before before giving my answer. Yeah. Um, so that was the kind of initial question that came through my mind. Um, but so, yeah, the I think the first thing I would say about ministering in an LEP is in, in practice among the congregation, you don't you don't see the dividing line. That's that's just not there. Um, as I've inherited it anyway, maybe in the past it was more difficult. Um, but in, in practical terms, it means double the meetings. <laughs> because <laughs> okay. you uh, you have all sorts of different ministerial gatherings that you now have two of rather than one um of course yeah and uh ministers conferences and to to be able to be respectful of both traditions you know at least in the beginning i have to show up to 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 all of it um so there's lots more people to learn lots more names and mm -hmm. where they are geographically so it's a practical challenge yeah is there a lot of overlap? So um, the sort of geographical area that your Baptist cluster group or whatever is drawn from, is it a similar area that your URC connections draw from or do they organise it very differently? How do, what does it look like in practice? Quite similar. I think that our, our East London group, as it's called in the URC, um, is a bit more focused towards where we are. Okay. Um, 
so it doesn't quite reach out as far as our, our Baptist ministers cluster um, almost encroaches on Essex and mm -hmm. <laughs> goes the other way towards central London. Um, so there's that's quite a that's quite a broad range of quite a diverse group of London churches, um, which is, which makes it difficult to when you're brand new somewhere and you're not very good at geography like me and get lost very <laughs> easily. Um, trying to work out who's from where and what does that mean in terms of where I am and how would I get there and um yeah so it's quite a quite a diverse range of uh places that is covered by all of those different churches mm. um yeah there's more of them than you imagine yeah <laughs> um so Dan given that you've been there those seven eight months what's bringing you joy in the ministry in that place I think yeah there's a, there's a sense of ambition let's put it that way there's a sense of think things are possible um that if you have an idea it, it's not kind of um written off as oh, we we can't reach to that we can't make that happen but there's a real okay. sense of let's see where that goes let's see where that takes us um and connected to that a real sense of if we don't have the resources here there are connections we have there are relationships we have built that will help us achieve it and that's quite a that is quite a joyful thing to to think actually we, we can start thinking ambitiously um even beyond what we might be able to do as as a as a little local church mm. um that actually with this network of partners and you know um community groups our church partners that things are possible um yeah and there's real there's real signs of those connections starting to materialize and um bear fruit you know conversations that start randomly happening that dovetail with mm. other disconnected conversations and then suddenly new ideas form and it's a real possibility that we can do something there um so yeah i like that what a great thing to a great way of working culturally just as a church that you're up for that and let's hear the idea let's think who we can partner with i think that i can see how that would bring joy how that would be a, a life-giving way of working um dan i wanted to ask you specifically about something that you've been involved in so You've been leading a sort of an online worship gathering, um, and you can correct me if I've got the story wrong. So, uh, which I think is called Sacred Space um, mm -hmm. uh, at Leidenstone. And perhaps before that, when you were at your previous church, sort of the idea of doing something digitally um, in that way as well, you, you led Compline prayer regularly uh, i know about that because a number of people in our church uh are very much valued um their compliment clarence uh, time that, that you uh, led so uh, tell us a bit about that um and and why why you do it what it is and uh, mm -hmm. uh what the impact of it has been yeah so um it was fairly soon into lockdown um i was, I was pondering the various explosion of possibilities that, that came churches got very creative and it was wonderful um but i think that the time of the day that i think was almost empty was the night time and there's this there's this real sense um in the christian tradition of that that night time is this this place of darkness uh, particularly in the winter um but there is also this great tradition of recognizing that there is a there's a putting to rest of the day um and the the anglican tradition has this uh this evening service called compline which means the finishing or the ending the completeness um and the, the tradition is that you would essentially uh give thanks for the day um you would ponder the things that have been and entrust yourself into God's keeping for for your sleep and for your rest. Um, 
and as I was pondering, you know, that the anxiety that we're all facing and the the real kind of disconnection and all of that that we were we were experiencing, this this tradition seemed to be custom made for helping people sleep. <laughs> you know, um, when when actually some, you know, that's a real challenge for some of us to just get to bed and to rest, um, just to have this method of bringing ourselves into God's care consciously. Um, and allowing ourselves to, to deal with the things of the day um, and to look forward with expectation for the next day. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I value the, the breadth of Christian tradition. I'm a, I'm a mixed up Baptist, <laughs> <laughs> um, Catholic with a small C, certainly. Um, and this was one of them that really appealed to me and was easy to do virtually. Um, with plenty of space for for you know contemplation, quiet, listening to music, set prayers from from across the traditions, um, yeah, and it seemed to be quite well received. We we started at ten p.m., so it's very much the last thing you might do before winding mm. down for the night. Um, yeah, and for a while it was it was very popular and seemed to be helping people mm. in in a real sense deal with the the anxiety of the early part of lockdown yeah absolutely love that and so how has that then translated to what sacred space looks like now yeah so this is more of a, a thinking through and a again this is coming back to what i said before this kind of this air of experimentation and let's let's see what might happen um and i've been quite quite intent on saying if it doesn't work let's let's stop it um, yeah. yeah, let's let's call, let's be willing to try new things, lots of new things, perhaps, and then if they take roots, we'll continue to feed it. If not, we'll compost it um, <laughs> and try something new. So, sacred space kind of emerged as a way of thinking. We have this evening space on a Sunday, in particular, um, which at the moment isn't being used by the church. Um, it'd be interesting to create a space which is in person and online um where, where we can spend time stilling ourselves you know quietening ourselves um church on a sunday morning has a different feel doesn't it to church on a sunday evening and i very much miss that evening space mm -hmm. um since you know lots of our churches we, we just can't run both when you're speaking when you're a small church um but is there is something missing in that space of the quietness and the intimacy of, a, of an evening time together um so it started off as a blend of kind of compliant and in person um it's kind of morphing and i'm still kind of working on if it's going to be a continuing thing or a, a thing to put to rest um but yeah it's just just an opportunity to to meet together for, for quiet prayer really around a, a structure rather than free-flowing i love the idea of being a mixed up baptist i think that's <laughs> uh, something i can get on board with uh very much there's so much wisdom in all the different traditions that we can draw on and use yeah I, mm. um, so i mean thank you for that it i mean um i was a i did a a couple of the other complaints um, and loved them so i really appreciated that but so i know a lot of other people listened and and were part of those and it, it particularly in that early phase of lockdown um addressing the sort of the darkness and putting the day to rest was it was such a helpful thing to do yeah um so bless you in that that was such a gift um now, Dan, we always ask everyone who comes on the podcast a couple of questions, and I'd love to ask them to you now. Now, you can <laughs> you can choose to answer these with your Baptist hat on, or I guess with your URC hat on, however you prefer. Um, but the first question is, if you had one thing to declare to the Baptist Union in this moment, what would it be? That's a very interesting question. Um, and I, I, was pon I was pondering what I might respond for some time um partly because i feel inadequate to respond to it to the whole union it feels very presumptuous to have anything to say really um 
but also partly because there's there's certain kind of hot button topics that we could everyone has an opinion on so it's very easy to say those things but I, I was at a um diversity training for ministers that um the Baptist Union has prepared which was very helpful um and one of the phrases that popped in my mind suddenly from from my Bible college days was uh, plundering the Egyptians. Right. So uh, Augustine and others before him, the church fathers, had this, um, they felt free to borrow from the world around them to, as they, as they developed how they're responding to this new thing that is happening in, in the Christian faith in their time. And they take him from the story of the Exodus that, you know, as the Israelites left, they took with them things that would help them to establish themselves in this in this new place they were coming to. Um, and for me, that that image speaks about. In, in many ways, uh, maybe we would benefit as a as a as a union, as a as a movement of looking beyond our own borders for resources on our on our current challenges and the, the world that is becoming um and i think we see some of that in the diversity training the idea mm. of you know having an open mind and a honest, honest conversation um and you could you could extend that in all sorts of different fields of life um i think we could very much benefit from the the general grace of God, which is at work in our culture and in the rest of the world as well. Um, so I think for me, it also comes back to the uh, this fundamental paradox that we, we wrestle with as Christians, particularly Christians of my mold, is that we are very much rooted in a particular story, a particular place. We're very local, um, but we, we inherit a, a vast array of tradition um and uh some of that tradition challenges what i grew up with um and some of it in, enhances what i grew up with as a as a baptist christian um but it is a paradox i think there's a tension there between paying attention to where you are but also paying attention to a very broad voice that um that has been around for a long time mm. so somewhere in all of that there's a kind of plundering of the good things being eclectic with tradition and uh, meeting the current moment with with the wisdom of all sorts of different places i like that i like that a lot um and dan the second question we ask everybody is if you think baptists have one thing to declare to the world in this moment and um, what would that be i think it comes back to a, similarly to, to what i've just said um it is the value of the local and the, the very kind of granular particular local voice um you know within a local church which is a small unit given how many of them there are there are also smaller voices if you will that can very easily be marginalized um and i think the baptist tradition at its best has 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 determined to pay attention to all of that um sometimes painstakingly slow process yeah. <laughs> of listening <laughs> um and making sure everyone has has their say everyone has an input on on what you are doing as a as a local congregation so i think that focus on the local and allowing that to challenge the the, the global the national um again it seems presumptuous you know one small voice among a technicolor of other sorts of inputs but there is there's something very challenging about the local voice um what i one of the things being in london is we have quite a, a lot of connections with um, counter-terrorism and police mm. and um i was at a meeting just recently looking at the prevent system and uh, the consultation that's been going on and how that's that's challenging some of our communities and um but there is in that there's a move towards the local again you know that rather than being centrally funded centrally um organized there's a real sense of empowering the local councils and within that the local boroughs to 
to strategize to work together with the real people um, in real community um, kind of grassroots prevent rather than ivory tower prevent so i think there's lots of lots of ways our baptist history and our principles can very much speak into that that we've been doing that for some time now yeah. <laughs> and we we have we have that as one of our core values um and we, we know what it's like to listen to people we disagree with um we don't always do that very well yeah. but we, we at least have the desire to do it um so that no one's left behind um so yeah i'll potentially say that's what we might humbly speak to the to the world well Dan, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing uh, with me today and with our listeners today. We uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'll speak to you soon. my chat with uh, Dan and uh, there's lots to think about there um lots of different directions we can go in where where should we start yeah where should we start because there was so much in that that was gold um I think I want to talk about his comments about settlement because he is obviously sort of fairly recently new in and with June's podcast sort of echoing the kind of sense of recent change, I expect quite a few people might be in a bit of a shift at this point in life or thinking mm. about being in a shift at this point in life because it's actually a time that naturally has encouraged some movement for people's roles. Mm -hmm. And I thought what he talked about in terms of approaching his profile was so beautifully put. Um, to be as authentic and open as possible in his profile and like offering that to churches yes 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 this like be you just be you and i just love that it's so important to be authentic um i remember coming to meet the church here and um i kind of you almost think do you dress and talk and be as you think they're expecting you think but no but then when you arrive and you're not that, you know, it just doesn't work. And there's the sort of age-old apocryphal stories of um, which, you know, have some basis in truth of ministers who come in suits and proper shoes for their preach with a view and then spend the rest of the time in shorts and flip-flops. You know, and actually, mm. um, the church may be fine with shorts and flip-flops, but let them make that decision, you know, and in your profile as well. And I think it's harder to do on a profile. I mean, I... I I think I might have said on the podcast where I think the new forms are, are horrendous. Um, I haven't seen a new form. I've never, okay. ever settled on the settlement process. Uh, apparently, everybody else really likes them. I, I just think they lack space for any uh, flourish at all. It's just too identical. It's sort of too... I don't think you learn anything because there are just too many obvious answers. But anyway... Um, if you have to write a letter. Better, so I've really never settled on the settlement because... Okay. I, I was a woman in ministry and um and then I just ended up in roles that I've had to apply for with like uh, a covering okay, yeah a bit different yeah um so do, yeah. do you have to like state your this is my hopes for this this is what I think I'm hearing you saying this is how I think I might meet this thing does that happen um yes and no um I to us with that one in front of me I can't remember the exact questions um <laughs> but it um yeah it, it i guess really what you want to do is just give it enough of yourself that they decide what they want to talk with you or not because mm. until you actually talk face to face with somebody right it's very hard to know and there might be disqualifying things i guess that you might say um um but i think the more honest and authentic you can be in the whole process the better and i loved what dan said about um he was looking for a resonance you know there's just mm -hmm. something it's not a tick box exercise think, okay well it's in the right sort of place and it's the right kind of this but it still might not be the right thing you're looking for something deeper than that a connection that's not logical yeah, great if it is all those things but custom made profile for me yeah that's that's it and i have to say coming to the church here in Shubri, that was my experience i mm -hmm. walked in and i was like if this isn't it 
I don't understand what life yeah. is about. Yeah, yeah. No? Yeah. Um, and yeah. you, I, and I think I wouldn't settle for anything other than that now. Yeah. And it's not once to say that it's, it. yeah, once you've had it, it's hard to go different to that, I think. I, so I think that it's interesting because obviously I didn't set in settlement and then I applied for my job with like a classic employment, I'm an employee, um, you know, classic employment, you know, I had to write my, I had to write my letter, I had to write my CV and, but even so it was that same sense of like, if this is not who I am, I don't know who I am, you know, actually, exactly. and if they turn me down, that's fine actually, because this is so in this process, like I'm so honest about who I am this is all I can offer I can mm. do no other this has got to be who I am because because this is who I am and if it's not who they want well then I guess that's that's God saying gently very kindly go be something else go do something else somewhere else but but yeah and once it works as well it's it's just something isn't it like it's the I don't know about you but for me this role I'm in at the moment it's felt the most authentic to, to use the phrase um mm, mm. uh it's yeah. the most me I've ever been in a job it's also Isn't the hardest I've ever worked and it's also <laughs> the place I've, I've owned my own vulnerability and my own lack the most you know it's like you know how much more you could grow into a role but at the same time, just the sheer joy of being in it in the first place. Oh, I love it. So, yeah, it's so funny, good. isn't it? How cool and works. It is funny how it all works. And one has to ultimately trust that God is at work in the midst of all this somewhere. Um, but it sounds uh, that God's been wonderfully at work in, in calling Dan to this new ministry. Absolutely. So, and, so many things that sound so good and intriguing i know i i just like had so many more questions i mean <laughs> um, where do we begin can we talk about environmental justice we absolutely wanna... must yes yeah that's a big I'm thing fascinated by that but obviously the church has such a heart for it yeah. and that, as you were saying in the interview that there are some people who have clearly got like this is their passionate issue and therefore held the church to account on it really beautifully but but for him that was obviously such an amen moment as well that that was something he was so interested in and I loved that I was mm. just delighted by that I'm really delighted they were getting their um eco church awards yep Rumour has it, does your church have an eco church award? We have a silver award, yes, very pleased with our silver award. Where we are working towards gold, I think we're gold in three of the five areas, so we've got a bit of work to do. Um, but yeah, I, and it's it's potentially such an exciting journey. I think there are two Baptist churches with gold awards now in, in the union, and God willing, there'll be many more in in due course but yeah it's at the stuff i think the thing about leightonstone there is it just feels like it isn't something that a few keen beans do it's something that yeah. the church owns together and um yeah. that's how you really know i think that the church is understanding it as part of what it means to be a disciple of jesus um collectively i, I found it really interesting hearing about it it permeates the culture somehow it does it does and i'm really interested because they're obviously a urse baptist church and we did pick up on the lep mm -hmm. um so my previous role was with jpit um yes. publication for those of you who don't know what jpit stands for and why would you because that's a very odd phrase um but the joint public issues team did lots around eco church and yeah. and i worked very closely on these in these environmental justice conversations that's a big part of that hopes for a sustainable future that actually one of the places we ecumenically work together as denominations which baptists are not very good at doing was actually about environmental justice that was actually one of our really clear very easy to agree on principles that we we care about the climate we care about how we steward this earth he used a fabulous phrase about treading gently or something he had this great phrase about 
being kind of treading gently on the earth that we've been given or something it was it was just mm-hmm. such a lovely phrase that he used i need to go back and re-listen to it because i don't think i wrote it down but at the time i just remember being like oh what a gorgeous way of explaining about like holding the earth so very gently and carefully in our stewardship of it in our time and loved that loved that yeah. so much so yeah definitely definitely um one of the other things that I wrote down was about where Dan spoke about um, all the different groups that were using the building um, and that real sense of community that there is there. And he said in various decisions that they've had to make that it was about making a fundamental decision on your posture to the mm-hmm. world. And I liked that. And um, I thought it resonated quite a lot with what we talked about and heard from June last week as well the tone and the posture with which you engage with the world matters um it, it's not just about what you say and what you do there's there's an attitude and a heart behind it and people sense that and they mm. they get it instinctively and it sounds like the community around the church there feel like this is a place they want to engage with which is so positive I loved also love the concept of posture because actually a whole body language sets us up doesn't it that, yeah. that non-verb, all those non-verbal cues and, and the idea that spirituality and theology and um mission has a posture love that really do um but I also in that I, I particularly I was struck by the radicalism of what he was suggesting mm. by saying actually there is these the the people we're welcoming are not of our faith they're muslim and we're gonna we're gonna give them good space that they can have their iftar meals and they feel safe here because we don't drink and therefore they can trust us because this is a non-drinking environment and i in working with muslim students and where the kind of complexities of that for people Mm. just so loved this idea that actually as an as a non-drinking baptist church because i don't know about you but if you've had a church that's got these things written into the deeds it can be really complicated <laughs> can't it? because then like you're trying to host a wedding and they can't have champagne yeah. and you look like horrible baddies and it's just is you know at times it can be really tricky to work it the other way because you think well actually it should be that we could just have a glass of wine right now um but actually that they've taken something and they've really used it as a gift to their local community and said, you know what, you know what you're going to get here is a safe place. You don't have to worry about booze here because we actually just don't allow it. And that's, mm. that's fine. And that's what we can offer in a, like a really extravagant bit of interfaith offering. And I just think I loved it. Yeah, I think there's something in that. Yeah, rather than, yeah, often where there are prohibitions on on drinking it's it's just a frustration uh, or often a frustration um whereas to have it where it in turn becomes part of the gift um i think it's a really beautiful um thing um one of the other things we chatted about uh was about some of the online stuff that dan's been doing and he mm. when he leads whether it's compton at clarence or now the sacred space it does it so beautifully um and sort of thoughtfully um and i know a number of folks in our own church here have, have accessed those and the, and the compline which began during the pandemic i mean compline prayer is such a gift anyway um but uh, it's something that's really really resonated and worked and i think um that it's one of these things that would perhaps wouldn't have happened without the pandemic perhaps people wouldn't have found it and joined in without that either mm. um i can't imagine four years ago whether the folks from our church who ended up watching you'd said to them oh there's this online prayer thing late on a sunday or whatever i can't imagine be sober be vigilant yeah, exactly <laughs> so it, it, it did enable that to happen but it was exceptionally well done i just thought it was a great innovation and i like when innovation and um sort of new things actually draw on some of the oldest traditions in the church because there's there's often gold when you can neatly bring those two things together i really enjoyed that conversation that you had about the riches of other traditions Mm. i it was justin welby who talked about 
how we should be magpies of other people's yes. traditions. And I love that. Uh, we've got some birds in our garden that like to uh, radar a recycling bin <laughs> and so you just find like all the shiny things in the recycling bin then like all over the lawn which is incredibly annoying on the one hand but also kind of cool because you kind of like realize that you're like reaching for your treasure and like I love this idea that actually maybe that's what we should be doing sometimes we're sifting through other people's you know recycling but yeah. but what's the treasure that's there what's the shiny things that we need to embrace there's plenty and so much and obviously work so closely ecumenically but like for me it's been a case of other traditions really offered me things that have genuinely sustained my faith without which I wonder how much I'd still be in the mm. church life actually because those have been anchoring points um especially things like daily offices actually and you know yeah. I, in fact we talked to me in the last episode is the last episode or was it uh, yeah it was the last episode where we talked about um going for walks and I said yep. oh I've got a daily prayer app and I used that for going for prayer walks like that's a Lectio Divina app it, I think I think it's run by a group of Catholics <laughs> yeah I'm annoyed who runs it I love it because it's somebody leading prayer for me and it's beautiful and it happens really easily in my day and it's a gift and it's a gift and, you know those it are is. the gifts aren't they and we are two episodes into the season, so it's only appropriate that I should um, name check Barbara Brown Taylor. Oh, um, who um, in her we book? Get Sam Wells in next. You know that, don't we? <laughs> um, in her we get book... Sam Wells in the next episode, everybody. You've won bingo. <laughs> we, we could probably do that. Um, and in her book, Holy Envy, she takes that posture, and it, it's not different denominations; it's different different faiths. Um, but it there is that way of looking at the practices things of, of different communities and, and seeing really like the way that happens there that really speaks to me of this and, and to not feel defensive uh or whatever but actually it's, you know i i'm not less of a baptist because i appreciate the way the methodist church does this you know, you know it just yeah. need to feel like that messy um, baptist yeah it, but we can appreciate and grow and learn from um these things and i, I think um it's a good thing so, so a big uh, recommendation for that book yeah it's a lovely book highly recommended to you mm. uh, but also everything by barbara and taylor just of it. course um i i just want to pick up one more thing from yeah, this yeah. i really valued was he talked about you asked him about where the joy was mm -hmm. the church I love as a question and I think again picking up on who June was in the previous episode like joy being such a thing um and he said the sense of the possible in the church oh yes and and this idea that not only was there a sense that actually you might be able to say yes to all these things but there might be other you know, if the ch local church didn't have the capacity on its own, there might be relationships and connections that could help them make those things happen. Yeah. And there's yeah. like this ambitious kind of concept within the church. I just thought, actually, that's such a gift, isn't it? Because where we get local wrong, I think, as Baptists, is sometimes that we get very insular and navel-gazy. Mm. We're only looking at <clears throat> ourselves and our resources and we, we miss something else. And actually... A, a local that is permission giving is just extraordinary and I just thought what a gift to gain a local church that was like wants to say yes to things I, <laughs> I like something is going right in that um oh definitely I thought that was beautiful yeah yeah um, and in James Jennings always talks about oh, um, yes. joy in local churches as, yeah um, and he talks about this idea that humans need ecstasy. And if they don't have ecstasy, they end up in things like addiction because they're the other place you might find a, a kind of temporary ecstasy. But mm -hmm. actually we need, we need ecstasy, we need joy. That's part of how we're wired. And this idea that a local church can be wired into a big bigger yes, a bigger joy, a bigger ecstasy for itself. I just love that. So. Yeah, and... Um... Willie Jennings stuff on, on joy is definitely worth looking up as well absolutely I'm um, just to connect in with that um 
sort of the posture of the local in a way. I mean, one of the things Dan said about Baptists having something to declare to the world was about the value of the local, the granular, the particular voice. There's something so healthy uh, in that and uh, in a world was- where the temptation to be a, a cookie cutter church is just so acute and there's lots of charities organizations groups that are invested in you being one of their churches that look like all of the other ones that they have and all this kind of stuff but just actually know each community is particular and that's not a thing to be scared of but a thing to be embraced did you hear him say that by himself so what was lovely is i don't think he realized this but he was like oh kind of my my voice is too small too particular to be able to offer a, a comment to the whole baptist union because i'm too you know he's he, the joy of it was like i'm so baptist i'm so local how could i possibly say things something to everybody mm. and yet in the end what he ended up saying well what baptists have to say to everybody is actually we're smaller we're really local and actually that's that particularity is beautiful and and I love that because it felt like he came full circle from himself yeah, where he's yeah. like, I don't want to, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant of offering a thing. And yet, ultimately, this is the thing I'm coming back to is the preciousness of what we are as a tradition. And and I think it's clearly the preciousness that he offers as a, as a local minister. I mean, it, it was just his whole tone because, as you know, he was talking about posture, but um and you can't hear posture on a podcast but but you can hear tone of voice can't you and we heard the way he he was in his manner and it just was so lovely and so beautifully carefully done and that yeah so I love that absolutely no grateful to Dan for for coming and sharing uh, with us and uh, we pray God's blessing on his ministry in the church in in Leightonstone and yeah lots of lots of good stuff to reflect on there I think it's you to pray us out with the blessing this time it is so this is uh Jeannie's uh, purpose-written uh blessing life-giving God you hold the universe in all its vastness and breathe life into every living creature May we be blessed with the strength for the tasks which you are calling us to do and the wisdom to lay down those you are not. Amen. 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 Well, bless you, Beth. Lovely to see you. And also you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we're looking forward to seeing you in our next episode. Um, We'll leave it tantalizingly there. Go well. Take care.